Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is World Communion Sunday, and uh, there are millions of people around the world that are gathered together, and they are remembering as they gather at the communion table that we are one. You know, the United Methodist Church, we celebrate what's called open communion. The thing is, is that you don't have to be a member of our church. If you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're living your life for him, and you can respond when the invitation is given, then you are our brother and sister in Christ, and you are welcome at his table. As I was thinking about this this morning, and thinking about it in connection with the passage that we uh, have just heard or read. I remember the time back in the, I guess it's probably about 1960, that I was working at my dad's service station. It was in the summertime, and a station wagon pulled in. And out of this station wagon came a mom, a dad, and a whirlwind of about at least seven kids just just going ever which way. And it was just crazy. They were we filled the car up with gas and we checked all the tires and we did all that stuff. And there were orange sodas and grape pits and RCs and million dollar bars and moon pies and peanut patties and baby roofs and barbecue potato chips just flying onto the counter and off again as we were checking people out and all. And then all this hubbub and then all of a sudden they all just swooped into the car and they were gone. And it was quiet. And then we hear this bump from the bathroom door around on the side of the building. And around comes a little three-year-old boy. And he walks around and he looks at the empty driveway and he looks at us standing there. He puts his hands on his hips and he says, where's my mama? <laughs> and we were kind of worried because there's so many of them. We didn't know when they were going to miss him. But we just we just assured him that everything was going to be OK. And we gave him a candy bar and a soft drink. And he sat there and he was beginning to think this was pretty cool. I think he was about ready just to live there at the station. And we were thinking it'd be pretty cool to have him as a mascot, you know. And uh, so it was all, we were all just getting along just fine. After about 30 minutes, here comes that car whirring back around, you know, stopping. Mama gets out of the car. Where you been? And they take off. They gather him up. And they take off again. But the thing that reminded me of that is that sometimes we can get so busy and so caught up in what's going on right now and uh, we can lose sight of what's really significant. Just like they lost sight of that little boy. Well, 
This is World Communion Sunday, and I think it's good that we have a time of the year when we stop, we pause, and we remember that there's some things that all of us as Christians are supposed to share. As we gather around the Lord's table, we're all reminded of those key things that we hold in common. Jesus Christ as Son, as Savior, and as Lord. And uh, today I want to focus in on Jesus Christ as Savior. Next week, I'm going to focus on Jesus Christ as Lord. But uh, you see, Paul made something very clear. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we live in an age where people try to shame us if we cling to the gospel. They try to shame us if we pray. If you uh, demonstrate, if you show a cross somewhere, they'll try to shame you and tell you that that's offensive to them. And yeah, things were the same way just back in Paul's days, weren't they? Remember what he said? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live, the righteous man shall live by faith. But up above, he says that the cross is foolishness. He said, I am under obligation. But listen to what he says. I am obligation. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish. And there's another place where he says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. <clears throat> but it's life to those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he goes on and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and he's under obligation. And this is just it. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We should be under obligation to both Jews and Gentiles, to all those that are lost, or all those that are lost, we should feel an obligation. And you may wonder why. You know, if somebody's persecuting you, why should you feel an obligation to them? And that's what I want to talk about more than anything else today. And because Paul felt this so strongly. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's been said, I mean, it's been like 40 years ago, first time I heard this. Anytime, the, there's three sorts of people that should be locked up for six weeks. Somebody that's just quit smoking, somebody that's just quit drinking, and somebody that's just gotten saved. And the reason why, just think about it, if you've ever quit smoking, you know what it was like to be able to breathe again. And, and to, to start to taste food again and to smell smells again and to you, you know what all that's like. And 
You want other people to have that same joy and freshness that you have in life. If you've been an alcoholic and you quit drinking, you know the newness of life that comes from that. And whenever you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it just overshadows everything else. All of a sudden, everything is different. And it's so wonderful. And and, and you had been lost and now you're found. You had been just uh, at, at wit's end and now you have peace. And you want everybody to know that feeling of not feeling like you may suffer from God's wrath someday, that you may wind up uh, going to hell someday, that you, all those iffy things are just gone and you've got peace with God, you've got peace with your surroundings and you feel obliged to share that with people that are even sneering at you and making fun of you because you have found a treasure, something you want to share with everybody because just like the song says, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And so He is under obligation in that way. And all of us are under obligation. And yet, I'm sad to say that in the church today, some are so far away from the faith that we're supposed to share. Some arrogantly will say, if you talk, start trying to talk to them about salvation, they'll, they name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they'll just arrogantly say, saved from what? Like salvation is a bad word. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want us to all be reminded of what we are saved from and why we have been saved One of the most important things we need to know is why we need salvation. What's the problem? Salvation from what? The answer in the book of Romans is resoundingly this. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. That's the bottom line. Let's back up a little bit. And uh, well, let's let's start back with uh, verse 18. It says, but the righteous shall live by faith at the bottom of 17. Then it goes on. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes. And you know, I've been talking with the kids about some of the invisible attributes of God. You can see his power at work around you, even if you can't see him directly. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen 
being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now listen to this. It's where we are again today. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Folks, that's where much of the church has come today. And this is why we need to remember what we are saved from. Look at what we see in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But over in Romans 2, 5, it says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is what we need saving from in the end. This is our ultimate problem is God's final wrath that separates us from himself and casts us into hell. If you ask Paul, what do we need to do to be saved or what do we need to be saved from? The answer comes back. Yes, from sin. Yes, from guilt. And yes, from disunity and bad relationships. And yes, from destructive habits and harmful ways. But mainly the answer is we need to be saved from God's wrath. And this needs to be one of the church's main messages in this day as we see our nation rushing headlong 
just exactly the way that God said that it would in his word before the end comes and Jesus returns as righteous judge. Our ultimate problem, and very few see the problem today, is that we are sinners in the hands of an infinite, omnipotent, and angry God. The gospel is mainly the good news that God himself has rescued us from the wrath of God. Not mainly from ourselves and the mess we make of our lives, but from, our, from his own anger and his own righteous judgment. The gospel is the power of God for salvation from the wrath of God. The power that brings us to eternal safety and joy in the presence of God. You see it perhaps most clearly in Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, talking about Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In the end, it's all about escaping the wrath of God or having the wrath of God turned away from us so that he becomes a friendly king and not an enemy. So in verse 16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It means that the gospel is God's power to rescue believers from the wrath of God or from the righteous judgment of God. A few weeks ago, we looked at how God revealed himself to Moses. We saw that he revealed himself as merciful and long-suffering and forgiving, but also who would by no means acquit the wicked, that who would call the wicked to justice. Now you see, we, we see there both the attributes of compassion and justice in God. And we're prone to want to latch on, as I talked about that back then. We're wanting to latch on to just one or the other, aren't we? Oh, he's a God of love. He would never do this. And yet he says he would in no wise acquit the wicked. There's another aspect to him and we can't. And so some people latch on to, oh, he's a loving God. God would never do that. And then there are others that they latch on, they latch on to the God of wrath and uh, they live their lives scared to death. So the thing is, he's all these attributes. You can't just take one and latch on to it. Because it's, that's like taking one attribute of a person and latching on to that and paying no attention to the, all their other attributes. He's all these things. People are complex. God's complex. He's a compound being. And we need to know all of him. And he wants you to know all of him. And he's made it clear how it all goes together. 
It's the same way. We do the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we want to say, oh, I'll take some of that self-control. I need that. Oh, 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 I want patience and I want it now, you know. But we want to latch on to one thing. But the thing is, the fruit of the Spirit is all these things, just like an apple is red, juicy, crunchy, sweet, delicious. All those things are a part of an apple. The same way with God. You don't just take part of it. And the thing, while we're on this sidetrack here on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the way the fruit comes about, you don't just pick one of the one of the aspects of the fruit and say, I want that. You yield yourself to God and you get the whole fruit. You get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. When it's all ripe, they're all there. You may not be sweet yet, but you'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Do you see? So this is just it. But it's the same with God and his attributes. The thing is, the love of God could not just sweep the unrighteousness of man and the wrath of God under the rug and pretend that all is well. This is where people get messed up. The love of God had to deal with man's unrighteousness and had to deal with God's wrath. The love of God is not a sentimental thing that can just say, I feel nice to you, so now I'll be nice to you. If that were true, the book of Romans would be a much shorter book and the Bible would be a much thinner book as well. Indeed, the Bible would have been a lot shorter and we could just skip the gruesome story of the death of the Son of God. The love of God is a love full of wisdom and a love full of justice and a love full of truth. It is a love that upholds all the other attributes of God rather than blotting them out. The love of God is worked out wisely and legally and justly and truthfully. Nothing hidden, nothing suppressed. It takes our unrighteousness and God's righteousness into account and deals with them in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most personal things ever. Somehow many have just lost track of what the substitutionary atonement is really about. What it's about is I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. You see, God's 
perfect plan was never Adam and Eve in the garden. And all this other stuff after the fall has been just an afterthought and a hustle and bustle trying to get things back on track. That's what a lot of people think. No. God's perfect plan was Christ in the garden. Christ in the garden before Mary. Dead, having died for our sins, risen from the dead to offer us eternal life. The Lamb of God was slain before the creation of the world. Christ in the garden was God's perfect plan. And you were a part of that perfect plan. He knew you were going to mess up. He knew you needed a Savior. And he had made provision for it before you ever came on the scene. You see, the cross isn't catch-up time. The cross is his invitation to you personally to become a part of his perfect plan. He had it planned just for you. There was a place on that cross for every sin that you committed. And see, this is just it. Our sins count. Jesus had to pay the price for each sin we ever committed before we came to him. And whenever we willfully sin after, that's why we have to confess. Because we are, every time we willfully sin, we are crucifying Christ afresh. This is not something that's just, oh, pie in the sky, la-di-da stuff. This is life, death, eternally. And God wants you to be his eternally, to be with him eternally. And that is what the cross is all about. And when you receive that, you're not going to be ashamed of the gospel. You're going to feel an obligation, a need to tell everybody that's lost, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to experience the wrath of God. You can be set free from the law of sin and death and have fellowship with him now and fellowship with him and other believers in heaven forever. That's what it's all about. And that's what we celebrate as we gather at the Lord's table this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.